Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and of course, whoever. Uh, so I have a few different episodes I'm currently working on, and I wasn't sure what I'd settle on for this week's topic, but why not? Let's do it. Internet controversies. In particular, I want to talk about the heat Joe Rogan's been receiving lately, and man, I must really be a masochist. Uh, I'd also like to talk about the whole Brie Larson, Captain Marvel thing. And I realize both of those subjects are kind of off-topic. Neither one really has anything to do with atheism. But I've talked about Joe Rogan on the show so many times over the years, harvested a lot of clips from his podcast, that I think it makes sense to talk about this. And as far as the Brie Larson thing, it's just this kind of cultural phenomenon that I was bearing witness to and uh, for, for weeks now. And uh, even though it's off topic, it's just something I kind of wanted to chime in on. And before we really dig in here, I'd like to thank Vanessa Lowe for supporting the show. Unintentional rhyme there. Uh, she's actually been supporting the show for a while now via Patreon, but I noticed earlier that she edited her pledge. Uh, thank you so much. It is greatly appreciated. It means a lot whenever people support the show, and I dig Vanessa. We kind of interact here and there on Twitter. I think we follow a lot of the same people. Uh, very cool of her to do that. And uh, I know she showed some uh, interest in that Crowley doc that I did before it had come out. Uh, if she had a chance to listen to it, I hope she dug it. Jeez, man, almost two hours. I, I, know that's, <laughs> I know that was a long one. And I still plan on working on an abridged version, you know, seeing if I can miraculously somehow get the length down to about 15 or 20 minutes maybe cut out a lot of those long readings from the confessions and make it more just kind of, you know, kind of like a brief outline of uh, Crowley's life and exploits. And it's funny, if you listen to that documentary, you might be able to tell that near the end, I'm just so exhausted from working on that documentary that I'm just trying to bulldoze my way through the final stretch and suddenly I really pick up the pace. I'm like, Crowley did this, Crowley did that. But anyway, let's move on to the topic at hand. So people on the left, and I say that as a person on the left, relatively speaking, and I should say that this is probably going to be one of those episodes where I end up pissing off people on both sides of the political divide. But yeah, I consider myself to be a really left-leaning person, but I'm pretty distrustful of politicians in general on both sides of the aisle. And I'm just sick of all the bipartisan bickering. So rather than identify as a Democrat, I tend to identify as a left-leaning independent. Uh, gay rights, gay marriage, pot legalization, separation of church and state, uh, all that stuff. You know, when it comes to all that, I'm very left-leaning. And it's funny, I think the right has become more emboldened since the election of Trump. But I can remember sometimes wondering to myself, kind of confused, you know, what, what is even the difference between left and right really anymore? Uh, especially when you're talking about younger right-leaning people. Uh, because I would hear friends who are 
who claim self-identify as being right-leaning talk about how, like myself, yeah, they support gay rights, even gay marriage, pot legalization. Many of them aren't even particularly religious, to say the least. So it's like, what's the difference? The line between left and right seems to have become more blurred. But I think, yeah, there are still some pronounced differences. Uh, some of those differences seem even more pronounced now under Trump, like immigration, for instance, uh, this rise of uh, white nationalism. And even though Trump himself doesn't identify as a white nationalist, a nationalist, but not a white nationalist, a lot of white nationalists uh, do seem to view him as this... Uh, kind of figurehead. I guess another key difference would probably be attitudes towards social programs that seek to kind of help people get a leg up. The right, uh, you know, the right have traditionally been the pick yourself up by uh, your own bootstraps crowd. But I bring all this up because for a while now, people, some people on the left haven't been too happy about Joe Rogan uh, having kind of uh right-wing types on his podcast. And in a lot of cases, they're not even necessarily people you traditionally think of as being on the right. Uh, a lot of them are kind of people who identify as lefties to some degree themselves, but they just, uh, you know, they've decided to kind of push back against PC culture. And I guess in that category, you could count the likes of, say, Tim Pool, Sam Harris. Um, then there's uh, the Weinstein brothers. Is it Weinstein or Weinstein? Uh, I think uh, everyone tries to emphasize that it's Stein, so they're not <laughs> so they're not wrongly associated with Harvey Weinstein. Uh, definitely a character you do not want to be associated with. I'm not completely familiar with the political leanings of Brett and Eric Weinstein, to be uh, completely honest, but I thought at least one of them was uh, left-leaning. But yeah, he's had uh, a lot of members of the so-called intellectual dark web on his show repeatedly, uh, including Jordan Peterson. And I always thought that was kind of a, a weird moniker or phrase or whatever, the, the intellectual dark web. Um, when you think of the dark web, you think of something that's hard to reach, so, you know, in some shadowy corner of the internet. Um, but I'm like, these dudes, they're almost household names. I mean, <laughs> they're all over the place, man, especially like uh, YouTube and, you know, social media platforms. I don't know who first coined it, but it sounds like something that was just, you know, meant to make them sound cool or edgy or dangerous. Jordan Peterson, in particular, uh, I have kind of a, a complicated take on him. I've gone through this on the show before, but uh, basically, my first introduction to him was probably the same as many others. You know, because I have a YouTube channel for the podcast, uh, I tend to be on YouTube a lot, and... He really blew up on YouTube after, what was it, Bill C-16? Is that what it was? Um, and a lot of these so-called anti-SJW types uh, were really, you know, promoting him and, and lauding him in the wake of his reaction to Bill C-16. 
uh, people like Sargon of Akkad, etc. And I remember my first reaction to him was like, oh, another anti-SJW. How boring. You know, at the time, you couldn't throw a rock on YouTube without hitting one of the so-called anti-SJW types. To be honest, that's pretty much still the case, and this will tie into, you know, the, the second topic when I talk about Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. And for those of you who aren't keyed into the lingo, uh, SJW is a pejorative, an acronym for social justice warrior, which in of itself sounds like a good thing, you know. Who wouldn't want social justice, you know? Um, but it's meant to be sarcastic and derisive. And so the problem that the so-called anti-SJW types have with them is that they see them as being far too politically correct, um, that there's, you know, there's too much thought and speech policing going on, and almost this Orwellian reinvention of language. Like I said, I'm a, a fairly left-leaning person, uh, but even I, you know, I, I'm not crazy about excessive political correctness or um, thought and speech policing, etc. And I guess in a way that kind of makes me like a man without a, a home or whatever. Uh, is, is that an actual figure of speech? Because uh, I'm not necessarily too crazy about the anti-SJW content creators either. Um, you know, the whole thing's just too tribalistic for me. Uh, these, these content creators ranting about blue-haired college girls video after video, you know. And I think some of their gripes regarding political correctness actually are valid, but... I just wish the whole atmosphere wasn't so toxic and tribalistic um, and that maybe some of them were more measured in their approach and not so quick to write off the other side almost in this kind of dehumanizing way, uh, you know, almost referring to people as SJWs like... Uh, it's synonymous with sewer troll or something, which to them, you know, it probably is. Now, if I can climb down off my soapbox for a minute, I do have to admit that YouTube drama in general is kind of one of my guilty pleasures. And an example of this will be the whole Brie Larson, Captain Marvel thing. But let's get back to Rogan. So yeah, a lot of people have been unhappy with him for having members of the whole intellectual dark web crew on. And then um, he recently appeared on Infowars, and that had people all upset. As strange as it might sound to some, I personally don't begrudge Joe Rogan going on Infowars. My guess is he was just trying to be a good friend. Uh, he and Alex Jones have a friendship... Uh, that extends back into the 90s. I'm actually impressed by what a good friend and chill person Rogan is. Remember shortly before they cleared the air, Jones was digging up old controversial Rogan clips uh, that casted him in a bad light, not to mention airing pictures of Rogan's stepdaughter. Uh, not everyone would be as forgiving as Rogan. 
And speaking of internet drama and uh, info wars, on a side note, if I may, looks like, yes, this is going to be one of those ultra-long, unscripted episodes. <laughs> for those of you who prefer that type of episode, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, for those of you who don't, my apologies. But uh, I think I've mentioned Owen Benjamin before. Owen Benjamin is, I think he's a, a comedian. Um, yeah, I'm just taking a quick look at Wikipedia here. Yeah, Owen Benjamin is an American comedian, pianist, and arc, and uh, actor from Fulton, New York. He has been described as alt-right. And I think the last time I mentioned him on the show, I described him as being somewhat unhinged. And uh, I would probably go with that characterization more than ever. Uh, before I was talking about how he, he had appeared on Rogan's show, and he seemed to be getting along very well with Joe Rogan. And although I didn't agree with the guy's politics necessarily or whatever, um, he seemed like a likable, affable enough guy. And then he completely turned on Joe Rogan. And uh, was just talking about Rogan like Rogan was the most detestable piece of scum or whatever. And he became buddy-buddy with Alex Jones. And after Jones and Rogan buried the hatchet, Owen Benjamin had hosted an episode of InfoWars in which he continued to just toss uh, Joe Rogan under the bus. And this might not have gone over too well with Alex Jones. I don't know. This might just be one factor. But Jones hasn't really been having Owen Benjamin on the show since, I believe. And Owen Benjamin took issue with this. And his thing is he kind of, he does these streams from the woods while getting shit-faced. Uh, getting drunk in the woods, a perfectly fine pastime. I've indulged myself in the past. Uh, but <laughs> it seems like most of the, the majority of this guy's, uh, of this guy's streams are, are you know, take place while he's, he's getting shit-faced in the woods. And the Progressive Voice just aired a clip, which I guess has since been deleted by Owen Benjamin, of him in the woods drinking and just now talking about Alex Jones, like Alex Jones is a deplorable piece of shit, you know, just totally talking about what a scumbag Alex Jones is. So for a comedian, this guy seems extremely bitter and vindictive and uh, has a, um, seems to have a penchant for turning on people on a dime. Um, and he would probably say they turned on him, but he seems to have a very emotionally mature way of dealing with differences. But yeah, if you just uh, want to kind of see a sideshow attraction, you know, check out that that clip from the Progressive Voice. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty wild. So yeah, people were taking issue with Rogan having these intellectual dark web types on kind of try to say maybe he was having them on too much, not enough variety. Maybe he himself is, uh, you know, right-leaning or whatever. Joe Rogan definitely is anti-PC culture, but I definitely wouldn't describe him as right-leaning. And in fairness, he's always had a variety of uh, guests on his show, people from all different walks of life, 
people specializing in all different fields. He might have a musician on one day, a neuroscientist the next, then a paleontologist, a nutritionist, you know, so on and so on. And he has had left-leaning guests on. He's had Kyle Kalinske, Jimmy Dore multiple times, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Jack Dorsey. I think of Jack Dorsey as being left-leaning to some degree. I'm not sure what his politics are, though. And he actually got in trouble. There was a huge backlash because people thought he was actually being too soft on Jack Dorsey the first time around. And then recently, Slate published what I would call a, a kind of hit piece on Joe Rogan. And I'm looking at right now, and it's by some guy named Justin Peters. And I'm looking at the tagline here, Slate making vampires chow down on garlic bread. Is that some kind of cutesy thing that they change up all the time? Um, I don't know. And I don't plan to spend too much time on this article, but I'll read just a little bit of it so you can at least get an idea of the tone of it. And so it has a picture, a big picture of Joe Rogan with all sorts of kind of celestial psychedelic imagery behind him, including sparkling uh, whiskey bottles and pot leaves. Uh, <laughs> I think a little Illuminati eye. Um... And it's entitled Joe Rogan's Galaxy Brain. I have never heard the term galaxy brain before. <laughs> I don't know if right off the bat that's meant to be some kind of insult. Uh, you know, saying that, um, you know, simult simultaneously referring to the fact that he's interested in psychedelic topics. And uh, but at the same time, trying to take a swipe at him, insinuating he's an airhead or something or a space cadet. I, I don't know. That That's the feeling I get. And by the way, Joe Rogan's interest in consciousness and, you know, psychedelic topics and things like that. That's uh, one of the things I've always loved about the guy. And that kind of drew me to him. So it starts off on February 7th. On the 1,231st episode of his podcast, comedian Joe Rogan kicked off a discussion of one of the signal, single, no, signal, I was right the first time, injustices of our time, the deplatforming of jerks on the internet. Rogan was against it, as was his guest, the author and podcaster Sam Harris who urged Rogan's listeners to consider the plight of all the witty provocateurs who have lately begun to suffer real-life consequences for their trollish online banter. So right off the bat, very kind of sarcastic and catty. And ironically, this guy employs the, the word smarm. He says, Proximate cause of Harris's smarm was neither a teenager nor a Twitter troll, but an actor who had made the rather old-fashioned mistake of saying something dumb to a journalist. In an interview promoting a movie, Liam Neeson had bizarrely volunteered that as a younger man, he had once roamed the streets hoping to be provoked into killing a black man, any black man, in retaliation for a friend's rape. Harris, who has a practice eye for these things, saw great liberal hypocrisy in the way that many people online had read racism into Neeson's statement. Uh, duh, yeah. That's kind of the point, right? Liam Neeson was trying to use it as a teachable moment and was contritely telling a story about 
his own racism in the past and, and how it's something he wasn't proud of. And that was the point, I believe. And what Rogan and Sam Harris were pointing out is how they thought was wrong to kind of ostracize or pillory the guy or shame him for being honest and trying to forward the conversation, you know? And as I said when I first covered that story on the show, yeah, the details are disturbing. And it's kind of jarring to hear this actor you admire who, you know, has always seemed like such a likable guy, um, talking about stalking around in front of a bar with a club, just hoping some black guy would give him an excuse so he could attack or kill the guy. Yeah, it's disturbing stuff to hear. Um, but once again, the point was he was ashamed of that behavior and that thinking. And he, I know it's kind of a hackneyed... Uh, saying, but he was trying to, what I, I think he was trying to create a, a quote-unquote teachable moment, trying to help people learn from his past uh, misguided thinking, his past uh, mistake. He did something that in a sense isn't easy. He publicly shined a light on a very ugly side of his own nature to help spark conversation or for the greater good or at least that's how I saw it you know but the way this uh Justin Peters guy kind of paints it he almost makes it sound like Liam Neeson is just this deranged maniac talking about beating black people with clubs and Joe uh and Sam Harris are kind of you know defending that or whatever and then this whole thing about deplatforming jerks from the internet, um, I think that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's people who've been banned on Twitter that I have no love for, and I'm not going to lose any sleep at night because they can no longer spew vitriol on a particular platform. That being said, I think... Freedom of speech is always an important topic to discuss, and discussing when it is or isn't appropriate to deplatform someone on a social media platform where, you know, social media is becoming such a huge part of human communication. I think, you know, that's an important conversation, too. And you don't necessarily have to like the people who've been banned or deplatformed to agree that it's still important to discuss what should or shouldn't merit deplatforming or banning, how far should free speech go on social media, and, and to want to be wary that there's not a slippery slope effect where people are going to continue to get deplatformed for having the wrong political opinion or saying the wrong thing. Um, and that these restrictions don't get tighter and tighter, you know? But that's all I really have to say about the Rogan thing, so I guess now we'll move on to the whole Captain Marvel. Ah, can of worms. So if you're not familiar, here's the situation. We, we all know how big Marvel movies have become, these superhero movies, how, uh, how much money they make, how popular they are, how people look forward to the next one, etc., 
And so a movie just came out named Captain Marvel, and it stars Brie Larson, the actress from, uh, what was the movie? Was it just Room? Not The Room. That's the uh, Tommy Wiseau, so bad it's good movie, right? And so there were a couple of things about this movie that were getting people upset online. And most of the people doing the bitching were these kind of, you know, anti-feminist, anti-SJW types. One gripe they had is that, I guess, Captain Marvel is a fairly unpopular or more obscure character in the comics. And so they thought this was just an excuse to showcase a female superhero. And there was a rumor going around that's actually going to be, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not, I don't know, that Captain Marvel is going to be the one to defeat the bad guy uh, Thanos from the last uh, Avengers movie. And so they saw it as, you know, there's all these superheroes that have had movies over the years that, you know, that they've come to love. And and their concern was all of a sudden this uh, this new character is going to get shoehorned in and save the day instead of whatever, you know, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America. And that it, it was all some kind of feminist thing, you know. And then the second thing they took issue with is that the actress herself, Brie Larson, I guess is uh, an outspoken feminist to some degree. And I don't know if it was an award show or what it was, but there's this clip going around of her in a gown standing at a podium. And it looks like maybe uh, she was taking the opportunity while giving this speech uh, at an award show or something to kind of lecture people on the merits of diversity or something along those lines. She was talking about how um, there's a kind of overabundance of movie critics who happen to be kind of middle-aged white males. And she'd like to see more women, more minority women represented, etc. And she took issue with, uh, you know, if a movie's made that's aimed at or about young minority women that, I don't know, maybe she had a problem with it being then panned by middle-aged white guys who might be kind of tone-deaf and not really get who the movie was for, you know? And so, you know, not the end of the world. There's a lot worse things someone can do than to call for diversity, you know? Did I just say, you know, like three times? Uh, drinking game phrase of the week, I guess. Um, but on the other hand, I-, I get it. No one likes to feel like they're being preached to. Um, no one likes to feel that like the group that they belong to is being demonized or uh, being slapped on the snout with a rolled up newspaper. <laughs> and I guess, you know, there could be a chance that in some instances, yeah, maybe a critic is being kind of tone deaf or there there's some disconnect between them and who the movie's being targeted for. Um, on the other hand, maybe sometimes, you know, a white critic is giving a movie a bad review because it's genuinely a bad movie. You know, I, I guess it uh, it's kind of a case-by-case thing. 
But, you know, it's got to take more than some preaching or moral grandstanding to make me thoroughly dislike someone. I, I don't have any issue with Brie Larson, and I'm not going to boycott her movies just because of, you know, some idealistic call for diversity she made at some awards ceremony or some event, whatever it was. But the way people reacted to this was unbelievable. And uh, I was talking earlier about how YouTube drama is one of my guilty pleasures. And oh man, I was just addicted to these Captain Marvel videos on YouTube. And I can kind of feel that maybe, you know, it's coming to a close. And I'm a little sad that it's going away. Because even though I have no problem with Brie Larson, and I can't really get someone getting so worked up about something like this, um, these videos were just so kind of fun to watch in this weird way. You'd have these fairly big content creators just pumping out video after video after video day after day about goddamn Captain Marvel. Just talking about this young actress like she's public enemy number one and just, you know, rooting that the movie would fail. And then the movie finally comes out and wouldn't you know, it already has over, it's already made over $900 million. So it's actually already outperformed a number of other Marvel movies. Me personally, in general, I just don't go to the movies. I usually just wait till things come to uh, home video or Netflix or whatever. And I definitely get that some people like the kind of larger-than-life experience of going to see a movie at the theater. The gigantic screen, uh, you know, the audio system of the theater, etc. I totally get that. Uh, it's, you know, it's a whole, adds a whole different dimension to the experience. But me, I'm like, eh, you know, I'll just wait till I can watch it at home. We'll have it a Captain and Coke or whatever. <laughs> but I think I've seen... The majority of all the Marvel movies that have come out, you know, once they've come to like Netflix or a home or a video on demand or whatever. And I've liked most of them, even the Thor movies. You know, I'm a huge mythology buff, especially Norse mythology. And I always had this kind of snobbish resentment for the comic book version of Thor and that whole take on the Norse legends because... It veers off quite a bit in certain regards. But I think it's hard not to like Chris Hemsworth, and I think he does a great job as Thor, and I think those movies are really enjoyable. And when it does finally come to video on demand or Netflix or whatever, I'll definitely watch Captain Marvel. It's funny, you know, I've never been a huge fan of the Bible Reloaded. I like some of their stuff, but I happened to watch them recently. I think they've kind of rebranded themselves as just Hugo and Jake on YouTube. And they did a kind of response video to a video this guy named Coach Red Pill did about uh, Captain Marvel. And Coach Red Pill, you know, usually I try not to speak ill of people. But once in a while, there'll just be someone that really rubs me the wrong way. And he is one of those people. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that age should really matter once you're 
you know, once everyone's an adult, you should be able to have friendships with people who are 10, 20, 30, 40 years older than you or whatever, you know. Um, and I'm not getting any younger myself. But there is something creepy about the way Coach Red Pill operates. So imagine, if you will, he's like, uh, last time I heard his age mentioned was probably like over a year ago and he was 49 at the time. So imagine a 50-year-old guy who is trying to fit in and make himself relevant among all these 20, maybe even younger, but at least 20, 30-something anti-SJW types adopting all their lingo and everything, while at the same time probably exhibiting less emotional maturity than the young people he's trying to fit in with. And being kind of nasty or mean-spirited to boot. It'd be one thing if he was like uh, a Gad Saad type of figure, probably butchering his name, um, or even like a Jordan Peterson type, where you have these older guys who are somewhat measured, kind of act their age. They might have some political views that I don't necessarily see eye to eye with, but there's still at least some semblance of respectability in the way they comport themselves or whatever. So in this video that Hugo and Jake were playing of his, where he's kind of bashing Captain Marvel, whatever, here he is like this 50-year-old guy, and he's repeatedly calling this young actress an idiot, a moron, um, all these ad homs, supposedly for alienating the target audience of her film. Did she really alienate her target audience? I, I have no idea. Um, I, I mean, YouTube's a very popular platform, but I don't know how many comic fans, what percentage of them live in the weird, sordid echo chamber of YouTube anti-SJW culture. Um, I don't know how many... Marvel movie fans, uh, what percentage are 20-somethings, 30-somethings, or young teenagers? I, I don't know. Judging on the box office so far, the movie's made over $900 million, so it ain't doing that bad. And uh, my guess is Brie Larson's gonna be uh, just fine, money-wise. And then it's kind of creepy, and I heard another YouTuber make the same argument or whatever... Uh, Coach Redpill there is talking about how the people who made Wonder Woman, the Wonder Woman movie with, with uh, Gal Gadot, how they got it right by putting her in a skimpy outfit and basically saying that the job of you know a female superhero is to be quote-unquote fap material for young boys. And like I said, I heard another YouTuber who, judging by his voice, sound like a much younger content creator, making the same point, complaining that she's so covered up. And uh, just speaking for myself as someone who likes film adaptations to stick fairly close to the source material, it's like, well, in the comics, Captain Marvel, from what I've seen, wears a suit that's similar to what Brie Larson wears. This kind of, you know, red, white, and blue or blue and red outfit that pretty much covers her whole body. 
Wonder Woman is kind of quote-unquote scantily clad because that's how she's always been portrayed in the comics. Uh, and we don't have to get into how the guy who originally created Wonder Woman may have had some kind of weird S&M fetish. Um, but even with the Gal Gadot version, it seems like they went in as tasteful as possible a, a direction, you know, as they could with, with the suit. Um, where she doesn't really look provocative or over-sexualized or whatever. It's not like she has bulging cleavage or anything. And Hugo and Jake made a good point that, you know, here they are trying to prop up Wonder Woman and say this is how Captain Marvel should have been, when if you actually watch Wonder Woman, there is a significant amount of, of what quote-unquote anti-SJW types would probably view as feminist propaganda. Wonder Woman comparing a, a woman working for a man is slavery and, and this kind of thing. Uh, not that any of it bothers me, but just saying. You know, it would probably be good if your argument was consistent or whatever. Um, and believe me, I'm no saint and I have no problem with uh, scantily clad females. But it's like you want to say to them, have you ever heard of the world of online porn? There's a veritable ocean of flesh, always a mouse click away. Have you heard of Pornhub? In this age where, you know, the average kid has probably seen God who I don't believe in knows what kind of mind-numbing pornography, you know, the, the, most, the most extreme shit or whatever. Um, do you think that how scantily clad a female heroine is is necessarily going to make or break a movie? Why does that even have to be, you know, a, a big point? Wouldn't most comic book geeks, I say that affectionately, prefer that the uniform is faithful to the source material and Captain Marvel in the comics probably has one of the more modest looking female superhero outfits. But I guess that's all I have to say for that one too. So uh, alas, I guess I'm going to call this episode a wrap. Thanks for listening. As always, you guys know the drill. You can like the Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter, check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to support the show monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Or you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.